my name is Crispina French and promoting creative textile reuse is my jam. I'm an OG textile alchemist, worked my way through art school making ragamuffins from thrift store sweaters way back in the 1980s. That college side hustle grew into a full-fledged business and here I am today to show you how to do it too. Stick around for all the things helping to navigate both the chaotic and dreamy chapters of building your profitable textile upcycling business. We'll talk material sourcing, business savvy, product development, marketing, and self-care. Gloss over the hard parts? Not here. Experience, lessons, and know-how. Deep dive into the struggles, wins, and rewards of running your sustainable textile upcycling business. Think of this as your favorite craft class mixed with environmental business school. Are you ready to be inspired, energized, and supported? This is the Rags to Riches Textile Upcycling Podcast. This episode of the Rags to Riches Textile Upcycling Podcast is brought to you by The Unruffled. The Unruffled is a vibrant and feminine collection of slow-made garments and accessories handmade with love by Sandra Primo. Sandra is based in Austin, Texas, and every item she makes is thoughtfully constructed from finely sourced, reused textiles, favoring silks and lace and crochet. Bespoke, one of one, encouraging an infinite circle of recovery. Step into the world of The Unruffled at www.theunruffled.com. And visit the show notes page for this episode at rags to riches textile upcycling podcast.com for links and more information. Hello, listeners of the Rags to Riches Textile Upcycling Podcast. I am so excited to introduce you to today's guest. Today, I have my dear friend with me, and Jill and I go back like I think close to 30 years. Oh my gosh, I can't even believe it's been that long because life goes by so fast. But Jill Schwartz is my guest and her company is Elements Jill Schwartz. And if I'm being honest, I'm going to tell you right up front that Jill is not a textile upcycler, but she is an upcycler in her own right. And she, we're going to talk all about her business, how she runs her business, how she incorporates uh, vintage bits and baubles into her beautiful line of jewelry and um, various and sundry other really cool, eclectic, um, collaged artwork. So Jill, welcome. Why, thank you, Crispina. I am so happy to be here. Thanks it's so much. It's so much fun. Um, it's you, Honestly, having a podcast and getting to talk to your good friends is like super, super fun. So thanks for being with me, Jill. Um, talk a little bit about, like, first, like, introduce yourself and talk about, like, what your business is. Describe your business for our listeners. Well, I've been doing this for 40 years. So I, um, my mom was an antique dealer and I've always been surrounded around vintage. And so, um, when I started, um, creating 40 years ago, I started putting together things that I collected from antique markets or they were always older um, vintage pieces. Uh, and then my business grew. So I make jewelry. Wait, wait, let me interrupt you for a second. So when you were putting together the vintage pieces, what exactly were you making with them? Um, I was making jewelry at that. I, at some point I, I made picture frames 
I made um, photo albums and I made paperweights. I've done Christmas ornaments and hair accessories. So I've done a lot of different um, products, always with the idea of putting these vintage pieces in, although they weren't always vintage. Um, there were, it was a combination. I was majorly attracted to millinery and old buttons, mother of pearl buttons and ribbons um, and uh, stampings, which are metal stampings, go back way, way. Um, it was an industry that it still is, but many of them are for a vintage are vintage. Um, and I have to say that I've done a lot of different things over the years, but what where I've come to probably since the pandemic, and I guess you could call it a pandemic pivot, <laughs> is that I have decided I have so much stuff. I have millinery flowers and all the things I just talk about that they just make me wildly excited. And, you know, it's, it's thrilling just to look at these teeny little pieces. But one of my big decisions about after the pandemic is I decided to go smaller. I had a lot of employees and that what I was going to do is use what I have. And since I've been in it for 40 years, not only did I have older stuff, that before my time, but 40 years creates some vintage things. And so I got really excited and, and you being my friend and seeing what you do and, you know, having our conversations create this, like, I love the idea of using what I have. Yeah. And, and not only because of, that I have it, but also because it's better for the planet. Yeah. And and that's like one of the things I admire so much about you, Crispina. Oh, thanks. Is your ability to take creativity and to make it important in the world and uh, in repurposing. So I have, that's really where my heart is now. Yeah. And um, that's it. That's awesome. And I think that one of the things I love about, ha I mean, the un one of the underlying kind of, you know, manifesto pieces for me, and I think for a lot of textile upcyclers is just that, right? Like use what you've got. And it kind of, for me, and I wonder how you feel about this too, is like, it almost sets me up for a way to like, it's even like a deeper creativity, right? Cause like, you're not just going like, Oh, well, I need a piece of, you know, green velvet to finish this blanket. No. What do you have here? How can you build what you've got here into something that's like really beautiful and tells the story that you're telling without having um, the, you know, to limit yourself and not be like out reaching out for things that you don't already have. So is that something that has changed your creative process as you've made this pivot? Well, I, I, yeah, absolutely. But, um, I would say that part of what I'm seeing I'm doing is I have a, let's say I have a style and I'm, and I call my things also these days are more small batch. 
Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to, you know, throw that in there. Um, And I, and what it does for me is that when I run out of a piece and if it was a good style and I can't make that piece anymore, I kind of don't take no for the answer of I can't make this piece. I'm like, okay, well, how can I make this piece in a way that still holds its personality and its characteristics and use something else? And what I've realized is that it does a few things. It it does make me think outside the box and I have to and I I know I have to make it happen. So yep. I get to dig in into the, all those crazy boxes I have, ha ha. Um, if you didn't get the joke. <laughs> and, um, and find those things that work. And, and in doing so, I think it makes a piece more valuable because instead of it being, you know, me having a thousand of the same piece or a few hundred of the same piece, now it's like having a limited edition right. of something. And it's also interesting to look at um, the generations of, of a style so that it may have started in one place, but as you keep needing to refine things that work within it, it's yeah. on a dick of different characters. It, it kind of morphs, it grows, right? Like it, it travels from where it was to this new place that I'm imagining is sometimes kind of like this unexpected, cool, like, wow, it kind of changed in a way that you might not have expected, but exactly. that you exactly. love, right? Yeah. So that's like, that's the thing that I'm finding that, um, and I, I, it thrills me. And yeah. then the other thing that I'm doing is if I have, you know, a bunch of pieces that I made that might not have been successful or they're too heavy or I made them for another style 40 years ago and they're a casting. Yep. For me to take those and create something that now is sellable and becomes a hit so I have no more left, that really excites me too. So yeah. I do find that you have to rethink and recreate and reimagine from parts and pieces that were already together in a way that you're now pulling apart. Yeah. It's kind of like that for me too. And to like that, that feeling of turning something that you might've thought for a moment was like valueless, like, Oh damn, these didn't sell or like, Oh, and all of a sudden it's like, wow, you just turned that into money. Like that is so cool. Right. It's such a nice feeling. I love that. So Mm -hmm. those are my newfound. Well, I've probably been doing it for the last, well, since the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, so I want to touch into like, you know, we're talking about creating pieces and how you want to change, you know, if you can't continue to create the same piece, you need to change one element of that. And, you know, how that has been something that you've really thought a lot about and you've come to this place where you're able to like, go, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And I think one of the things that we should share a little bit more about for our listeners is that, you know, why is it important for you to be able to make a series of the same thing? And that, 
you know, to, to kind of answer my own question and then to get your feedback on it. It's like, you know, both of us, when we started our businesses, we were really focused on wholesaling. So we were selling at, you know, the New York International Gift Fairs, the, you know, Atlanta, there's all these different um, wholesale events that we had. We traveled around the country to attend. And then as the internet kind of grew and became the way that people tend to supply their, their retail outlets, um, you know, it's important to be able to photograph an item and be able to say, yes, I can ship you a dozen of this particular item or, you know, a hundred or whatever it is, depending upon the volume. So Jill and I both came to this place in our businesses in a sort of similar path where over the years, um, that was our experience. And if you couldn't ship the same thing that somebody saw at the show and they got something different, there was going to be disappointment generally. Right. right. So now we're in this new place. And I know that, you know, if you could talk a little bit about your path to sales, like I know that you, you use a couple of different platforms to sell and, you know, do in-person sales. So talk about that. How how do you sell your product? Well, I have, there's a lot of different avenues. <laughs> and this, I think, is really important for people to know. Like, there's never just one. There's never just one avenue, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I, my whole experience in 40 years that I want to talk about as far as doing a business is that you always have to pivot. There's never, if you're not willing to change and pivot, because times change. and there's just all different ways of marketing. And yes, I was once just a wholesale person and or company. And now um, I have become, I do wholesale, I do retail, and I do, uh, and I'm going to break it down. And then I've done um, shows where I've created pop-ups like Jingle, which was held in Chelsea Market, bringing a lot of people together in person. I did that for 13 years. And that Chelsea Market is like a beautiful shopping district or entity really in in Chelsea in New York City in Manhattan, right? Yeah, Yeah, Chelsea Market was originally the um, where people uh, made food out of uh, in New York and like dispersed it into their little shops and then it became a mecca for amazing food and then it and then in turn it became a place for some retail and it's a beautiful building that like it was the original oreo factory (laughs) and they've repurposed a lot of they've kept it mostly the way it was with some quirky things i haven't been there in a while but anyway, so so um, as far as the wholesale part, you can do trade shows and see people in person, or you could do a whole. You could call people and you know put them on your list and or email people and um, tell them about you. I mean, you have an Instagram which you can deal with things online, Instagram and Facebook, and there's a lot of stores on there. But um, there's also websites like Fair, like Abound, like Tundra, that are essentially a rep, um, an online rep where you are grouped in with a 
hundred other brands, a million other brands, and your website is connected there, and people go who have stores and register, and they buy your things, and they get perks from fair, like free shipping if you sign up, or a hundred dollars off your first order if you've never been to fair. So there, and they give you sixty and ninety days to pay, which I'd say sixty actually. Um, which is so I'm just to interrupt you for one second, Jill, because I think that um, we will link the places that you're talking about, Fair, Tundra, and Abound. Will all be linked in our show notes page, so you guys can learn more about that there. These places that Jill is referring to are the best way I can think to describe them. And tell me what you think, Jill. Is they're kind of like Etsy, but they're for wholesale. Yeah, I mean, uh, yes, I do think that they're an online rep is how I most. So do they take a percentage of your sales? If you are, um, if they find you a new customer, they do, they take a large percentage the first time, which is like 25%, which is a lot to give up. Yeah, that customer repeats. It's then 15%, which is pretty normal in the mm-hmm. industry or always has been. Mm-hmm. If you had a in-person rep mm-hmm. who, where you have to give them your line and they travel around. Mm-hmm. So it's easier because you have more control. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, you know, and if you go direct, which is if you've, if you've sold to the person in the last two years or the store, in the last two years, you they you show them that you have, and it's they you don't have to pay any percentage; it's zero percent. So, if that customer that you've already established a relationship with, an, an, a wholesale customer, comes into Fair and buys your work, you don't have to pay a commission to Fair because they've already kind of connected with you. Yeah, before. but you yeah. have to prove that's cool. Yeah, yeah, that's and pretty reasonable. So, I think that's good. I think it's uh, it's amazing, and you can. If you got an order that you want to run through fair, mm-hmm. uh, you could use fair as your as your place where you put all your wholesale orders and they will deal with the money and everything. And that's the other thing is that if you run a wholesale business, in the past you had to deal with a lot of accounts receivable and getting the money and the credit cards and the checks. And, you know, people don't always pay on time and it's a lot of maintenance, but in fair, they're dealing with that all. And you, I opt for 30 days because it doesn't, it doesn't cost me anything Mm -hmm. and it goes into your account. You don't have to talk to anybody. It's in, it's in the bank. Yeah. (laughs) So it's kind of like really worth the percentage that they're charging to just like, just focus on the rest of your business without having to do that kind of chasing for, you know, payment or yeah, that's just, that's huge. That's that's amazing. It totally streamlines the process. And you can also, like I send out emails through there once a week. Um, When you add new, I think it's, I, I think it's wonderful. Um, so, so that's like my favorite avenue right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I did say trade shows in person, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing. But then again, you're trying to figure out who you're, you know, how you're gonna, you have to deal with all this stuff. 
It's expensive. Yeah. You got to get there. You got to travel. You got to stay somewhere. You got to set your booth up. You got to pay for the booth. Like that's yeah. all a lot of money outgoing. I think that fair, even though the 25% in the beginning, I think it's worth it because it's based on your order and it's mm-hmm. not based on, you can go to a trade show and you don't know how many people are going to place an order. So it's a crapshoot. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have a really good show, then then your returns are way less as far as, or, or more, I should say, sorry, um, because you're paying lots of a percentage. But if you right. have not so great a show. Yeah, it can yeah, be way more. To, yeah, it's way more. And it's hard yeah. to get to those things these days. And I do feel like people have changed where they go. And I do think fair is probably the best one of them. Yeah. Everybody yeah. knows them. You know, the thing that I love about you and your business or one of the things is that you're very diverse. Like you do, you do the wholesale shows, you know, not nearly as much as you used to, but you still got your foot in the door there. You do fair, you do, you know, retail shows, like talk about the retail shows that you do and well, how you chose them. As many retail shows as I used to do. Um, my biggest retail show is the Philadelphia flower show. Okay, now wait one second. Yes. You make jewelry, you make, you know, decorative accessories, you make hair accessories. The flower show. Talk about how you came up with that idea and why it works so nicely for you. Much of my jewelry and my product has flowers in it. Um, and and I want to go back. I'm gonna go I'm gonna step back just a second because you said I don't textile do textile upcycling. But I do have textile in my work. Yes. And so I just want to throw that in there. So yes. I have velvet flowers. Now I'm going back to the flower show. Um, so I have flowers and there's a market there and it's called the marketplace and it sits on the, and it's fairly big. And years ago, I probably have been doing it for like 18 or 19 years now. And I, it, there are people after they go to these wonderful displays, go to shops and and go to the marketplace. And I just those are my people. Those that's my tribe, as you call them. Mm-hmm. Um, they come back year after year, thinking they're the only ones who will buy a piece annually. But it's a pleasure. And uh, you know what I realize is like. I love that personal thing. I love that. I love watching somebody discover a piece that works for them or discover me and watch them in their fascinations and their decision making. And I take, yes, I made that piece, but that piece automatically, once they chose it, becomes part of them. So I love that. I love to watch their delight. And, yeah. and and then it's just fun to it's just fun to play with that. It's fun to be around that energy of people who are appreciating your work and you can hear what they're saying and you can take that into your design process when you're back in your studio. Um, we're going to take a short break in a second, but I just wanted to say that the thing that really resonates with me, and I think that it's really important to consider is, you know, you're at a flower show and you're selling things. Yeah. Your stuff has got some floral imagery embedded, 
But really why you're there is because those are your people. Those people, that that group of people who go to the flower show in Philadelphia every year, love your stuff. So it's entirely possible for people, listeners, people who have businesses to find a super engaged and successful market that might be outside of where they're initially looking. Right. It's not a jewelry show. It's not a, you know, it's not a wholesale show where there's, you know, the gamut. It's, it's actually something that I, not, I might not have ever considered, you know, if I were you, I, I might not have thought, well, the flower show would be a good place. So cool and, and so good that you found that niche. We're going to take a quick break. If you're just joining me, I'm talking with my dear friend, Jill Schwartz from Elements Jill Schwartz today, and we'll be right back. Today's episode of Rags to Riches podcast is brought to you by the Stitcherhood Recycling Society, my online membership community for creative textile upcycling, recycling, and reuse entrepreneurs. Inspiration, shared experience, tutorials, business savvy, and connection to a whole posse of people who understand the passion and intricacies of running an environmentally kind creative textile upcycling biz. Daily posts, weekly stitch hours, book recommendations, group chats, member profiles, and strong connections is what you can expect when you join Stitcherhood. Head on over to stitcherhood.crispina.eco and sign up for a free seven-day trial to see if my Stitcherhood Recycling Society is a good fit for you and your textile upcycling business. Okay. Hey, thanks for um, hanging in with us. I'm back with Jill Schwartz from Elements Jill Schwartz. And we've been talking a lot about sales, how she generates sales and all the different streams of revenue that she has feeding her business and keeping it afloat in different ways. So um, one of the things that I think is really important for us all to kind of realize is that sometimes things happen, like for instance, a pandemic <laughs> where parts of those, you know, some of those streams of revenue just simply stop, right? Like in-person shows were just not happening for a couple of years there. So, you know, Jill had structured her business in such a way that if one thing isn't working, well, there's a couple of other things that she can kind of um, lean into. So let's talk a little bit more about like your pick boxes and your, um, the, smaller shows that you do, and then maybe a little bit more about Jingle and how you how you organize that. And I also have um, Vintage Groove, which yes, is yes, my yes, yes, yes. parts. Yeah. Um, okay. So we'll talk about that too. Let's do that first, Jill, because that's okay. really cool. Let's oh, talk okay. about Vintage Groove. Yeah. Great. I need to get some more things on there. I just have been so busy. But what, what um, I, I have a shop on Etsy um, and it's Vintage Groove JS, Jill Schwartz. Uh, just, it's Vintage Groove JS. Yeah, we'll and, put a link for it too. Okay. And what it is, is I have, like I said, I have so many parts. And I realized that uh, a few weeks ago, actually, that I will never use everything I have. I've been collecting since for 40 years. And I have rooms full of stuff and I don't, I'm not going to use it all. Although I have to say, I do get like, I can't sell that. Maybe I'll need it. <laughs> okay. I, but I do. And I just, can I interrupt you another time, Jill? She has rooms of stuff 
that is meticulously organized in little boxes on shelves with a, so that she knows she can see what she has. And I think that it's really important to acknowledge how much of your creative ingenuity has gone into making your workspace with, I mean, do you, can you fathom a guess at how many different parts you have? Thousands, like. Oh, it's more than, yeah, I, 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 uh, yeah, it's got. It could be 10,000. 10,000 different little things. Yeah, it could be 100 that we don't know. Yeah. But each little piece has its own little place for storage and it's meticulous and gorgeous. And we will definitely add pictures to our show notes page. So oh you guys my gosh, I need to do those. Okay. <laughs> um, I mean, it's interesting because as it goes along, it uh, that part has been more difficult to do because you use something up and now it's not on the box. And then, uh, so I go through the act of discovery myself quite often where with like semi-precious stones or glass pieces or ribbons that now they're by colors or stripes or by dots or whatever it may be. So I have to say, I might like be looking in a box for something to replace or to find the piece that I need. And in the midst, I find 20 other things I want to use. Right. Uh, it's an organizing nightmare. Because <laughs> then I'm like, okay, I'll pull this out. And, oh, I got to use that. And all of a sudden I have piles of things. And it, it it is difficult. But yes, I have a lot, a lot of stuff. I need to put more on it on my website or yes on vintage groove which is a place and actually if anybody who's listening has participated in one of my stitch alongs sometimes the pieces that are included in the kits we compile are from jill's vintage groove js um, on Etsy's shop where little like vintage patches or, you know, little cutout um, flowers. Or um, I remember I got some velvet, like there were these beautiful little velvet daisies that were kind of this beautiful olive green color with like a red border and tons of little beads and, and buttons and just a lot of different things that could really augment anybody's um, textile work if um, it, if that aesthetic is what you're after. Ribbons. So definitely check that out. Ribbons. What's that? Ribbons. They're ribbons, tons of ribbons. And yeah, it's just really beautiful stuff. And when Jill says she's been collecting for 40 years, she's, you know, she's been collecting, but it's, 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 it's really beautiful stuff. It's like really, you know, ribbons from France and Japanese silks and like handmade papers that are from all over the world. So it's really unusual and stuff you don't, you're just never going to find it in other places, certainly not under one roof or virtual roof, if you will. Um, so Jill, I, we're kind of, we're running a little bit long and I want to make sure that we get to talk more about your new studio, how people can get in touch with you and what you're actually focusing on doing um, in your business today. So um, talk about your move, your recent move and how you have a little shop and how people can get in touch with you. Okay. Well, um, and I, can I move back one more second? About yeah, absolutely. And talk about retail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do that. Yeah. Retail is on, um, on my website, elementsjillschwartz.com. Um, and that is, that's become quite a larger 
peace for me than it ever has been, which um, is, you know, I just love that. Um, and I also do shows. I do, I'll do the Great Barrington Arts Market, GBAM or GBAM, I don't know exactly how they say it ever, which runs alongside of the Farmer's Market. Um, I like being part of a community. So that's, and then I'm doing this new show I've never done called Winterthur um, in Pennsylvania, which is uh, Winterthur Artisan Market uh, near Longwood Gardens in PA, like I said, um, and it's a DuPont estate. And I heard it's like a wonderful uh, fields of artisans in the field under tents and in a beautiful uh, location. Um, what time of year does that happen, Jill? That doesn't happen till July, but July 15th through 17th, I'll be there. Okay, so now I'll jump to... Okay. Uh, the question you just asked me, could you, about my moving? Yep. So, um, moving. Uh, well, while you're thinking about it, I just want to say, like, one of the things that happens to us all in life is things come up that are out of our control that we must navigate. And for Jill, she was, you know, when we first met, Jill lived in New York City. She had her studio in New York and we both had very young kids at the time. I remember walking down New York City sidewalks with you, you with Wyatt, me with Ben. She had the whole stroller thing figured out, the bags, the backpack, the bottle, the, you know, pacifier. And I was like, I was like the country bumpkin. Like, how do I do that? <laughs> Where, how do you manage all this stuff? So, over the over the years that we've known each other, Jill moved to Great Barrington, which is actually where I was living at the time, which was awesome because then I had this like soulmate like in my proximity. We could hang out, and she landed this beautiful studio where you were for was it twenty three years? Good girl. <laughs> yep. Yep. So then this this past year in um, twenty twenty two somebody came along and purchased the building. So, and kind of, well, not to sound too negative, but really kind of booted you out, right? Uh, booted me out, kind of. Not yeah. booted me out without, with buying me out. So with talk, that, that's kind of what I want to talk about because you navigated this really disruptive piece of your business and you made it work in a way so that you were able to continue without too much. I mean, yes, it was a huge disruption on the back end. But forward facing, I don't think a lot of your customers were aware of what you were dealing with. So talk a little bit about how that worked. Well, um, I ended up negotiating with the guy who bought the building for seven, for seven months, eight months, something like that. And in the process, at first I was devastated. Um, and then I started thinking about it and realizing that I maybe I could do something different. I started looking around for space. I couldn't find space. I had 6,000 square feet and I'd been there for 23 years. So my rent was like way low. It was not what standard pricing was as of today. Um, and then it dawned on me, I couldn't find anything that if I bought something that I could turn it into both an investment and nobody could ever boot me out and I could be there forever. 
um, and I could pass it on to my kids. And so I realized, so I started looking and I, then again, it was during the, it was right after the pandemic and real, real estate was difficult. And all of a sudden something came on the market and I found a 1900, 2000 square foot space pretty much. And it was not my style. Like I'm very vintage. Uh, it wasn't my style. And I thought, mm, I walked in and I walked out. And my partner, Steve, went and looked at it and said, you can make this anything you want. And I was like, eh, but I needed to move. And so I made an offer. I got the building, or it's a co-op within, I'm one of three owners of this co-op. And I realized that I could, and it had a drop ceiling, which to me was like, are you kidding? A drop ceiling? I could never go with a drop ceiling. But the, the thing is, I'm not sure. I'm really good at space. Like, I think creating space is that have a character. Um, I studied design and environmental analysis, essentially interior design. And I realized that I could turn anything, I could turn a closet into something that looked great. So I put in, as I usually do, I brought my old windows and some old doors and I started rethinking how I could create this. And then one of the things that I most wanted was adaptability because as I told you, I believe that businesses pivot. And adaptability in a space will also allow pivoting to be much easier. And so I created a, a studio, a little area for myself that I know that I will always be in till the day I die, um, where I could be creative and I can rent out the rest. But what I also did was I created these glass, while well, they're lucite walls that are movable so that I can recreate the space. If I want to have classes, which I am thinking about doing that, um, I can open up the space and have that. If I want to have a shop, I can have a shop. If I want to, I could do whatever I want. Yeah. And so that I, and I love them because I, they create, they create, they're really cool. And my space is very um, industrial. Um, it's more modern than my old place, but it has a, it's a combination, which is my whole look, which is a vintage modern feel to what I do. It's beautiful, um, Jill. It's I, just gorgeous. Thanks. And the thing that I think is, is, you know, in addition to it being this gorgeous space and having it be really kind of moldable to what your current needs are. And as you, you know, get, you know, for if thinking forward and thinking about you in an aging process, yeah, you can keep that little private studio, your studio and have other things going on in the space that to, you know, tenants and, and rentals and whatever. But the other thing I think is really cool is I, you know, you got this piece of news that was like, holy crap, like you're going to have to move out of the space where you have really settled and made your own for such a long time. And you were able to negotiate with the, the new owner to 
help you make that move possible, right? You were able to like, go like, hold on a second here. You can't just like, tell me I have to leave. You have to help me. And oh, he didn't know what I was doing. I mean, I honestly, he does not like that. I bought the bought his space weirdly enough. Yeah. But, but I was able to reframe what was devastating to me. Yeah. To, to work to my benefit. And I think yeah. that's great. And I want to say one more thing. Yeah. Uh, in this space was a garage. And I, you know, I originally thought, okay, I'm just going to put all my stuff. That'll be my storage area. And then after I bought the building, I went to figure out like how my floor plan and how I was going to do this and what it was going to look like. And I opened up and the, there was a garage door and the garage doors had maybe the slits were about two inches. The windows were two inches by like five. So you couldn't see outside. And I opened up the garage door and out my garage door were these beautiful barns and, and the mountains. And I was like, oh my, this is where I want to be. So I bought myself a new garage door that's all glass and kind of modern and carried in out my theme. And now I can, and that's where I am most of my day. And the light is amazing and I can have open air. Yep. And I, and I'm not looking at, it's more the area that I'm in. It's not as quaint as I had been in my old, historic town um even though it's in the same town it's just and that it, and like to be able to look at these beautiful barns every day I'm in heaven I watch the weather it's yeah. and not only that the solar heat that comes in when it's sunny I can I almost don't have to put my heat on that's it's awesome so cool yeah. So, you know, this is a testament to just being like resilient, right? It's like resilience is embodied in, in Jill and what she does. And like looking at like, that is the story that I hear. And that's what I'm taking away from just talking with you today, Jill. Is like, you know, going from this wholesale kind of craft manufacturer with a large staff and making like sometimes thousands of a single piece to sell to large volume sellers all over the world to, this, you know, taking that to another level. Okay. Now I'm going to start, I, I want to be more of a maker. I want to come down a little bit and like, okay, now I'm going to do wholesale, but I'm going to maybe not do wholesale at the shows as much. And, and I'm also going to build retail back in and then taking that to the like, new studio and having, you know, being able to spend the time that you needed to really design the space that you want to work in and realizing that, this place that you thought, Oh, this is like where I'm going to store stuff, garage, whatever. And realizing like, actually, no, this is actually where I want to be. Like always just really thinking outside of where you initially might land and finding like what really works for you in the long run. Right. Like, no, it is. It it, it was pretty, um, it's pretty exciting. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I really, it's pretty exciting. Awesome. Thank you so much for this chat, Jill. It was so much fun. And if I encourage all of you guys, anybody listening, go to our show notes page. I'll have a bunch of links there for the different things that Jill mentioned in her um, work experience and her business and also to her 
her website, her Instagram, like follow her. Um, Yeah. And well, if you are, you know, then you'll, you'll kind of get a visual for me and Jill. We're like buddies. You might even see us together on either one of our Instagram. So um, thank you so much, Jill. And um, I look forward to just, you know, touching base with you here every once in a while. I love it. Hey, so I'm over here and I'm serving you a giant air hug because you just finished another episode of the Rags to Riches Textile Upcycling Podcast. Thank you for being with me. Our music is provided by The Lucky Five. Learn more about them at theluckyfive.com. Our show is produced and edited by Van Valhyacin. If you want to dive in deep, head over to Rags to Riches Textile Upcycling Podcast.com.